All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with father and son co-host duo, Andrew Lindroth and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great, Andrew. This guest, we're happy to have on. Uh, we've been contacting off and on for about a year. No fault to anybody. It's just one of those, uh, you know, you get caught up in a lot of things, but we uh, circle back and we're lucky to have our guest, a guy who we're interested to learn about his fast journey he went from the East Coast League to the NHL in like a year, but I don't want to spoil thunder. Give us the intro. Yeah, today we're excited to have with us Harry York. Harry began playing competitive hockey at a young age and dominated the AJHL from 1993 to 1995. Later, he did go undrafted, but signed his first pro contract between the ECHL, AHL, and IHL and played the 1996-1995 season. Next year, he went on a full-time position with St. Louis Blues and was in the lineup from 96 to 98. Following his time with St. Louis, he suited up for the New York Rangers for a few years and then Pittsburgh Penguins during that time and later finished his career with the Vancouver Canucks organization. So without further ado, we'd like to hear a story today. Please welcome our special guest, Harry York. Harry, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good, man. So Harry, you were a 100-point player each season in under 60 games during your days in the AJHL. So bring us through that time, and also let's know you did win an MVP award that year, I believe, one of those years. Yeah, um, yeah, no, you know, I, I grew up in a small town just outside of uh, Edmonton, Alberta, and, uh, you know, I was a pretty decent hockey player at a young age. I like to play rough. <laughs> I, was a, I was actually a defenseman, and uh, I had made the Alberta Junior Hockey League as a 16-year-old um, when I was playing for Fort Murray, actually. And uh, I remember I had this billet <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing wrong with the billet, but the cat would pee on my bed every night. It seemed like, and, you know, I'm 16 years old and I'm not playing a lot. So I thought, you know what, to myself, I had one more year of AAA midget, which would be U18. Now I think that's what it's called. And I called my dad and I said, come get me. Like I'm wasting my time here. And they came, he came and got me. And you know what? I always, look back at this and I think of parents now these days I don't know too many parents would have let their kid quit junior you know like they would you know tell them to pursue it and keep going you know tough times you know you just got to bear buckle down but he came and got me no questions asked and Fort Mary ended up trading me to Bonneville Pontiacs and uh that's where I won the most viable player as a as a rookie I put 70 points up the following year but and then I stayed there for another year and put up 100 points, 102, I think. And then the following year, they traded me back to Fort Murray. And I, I had 112, I think, that year. But, you know, I had some schools offer full rides. Uh, I talked to Grant Strandbrook, uh, Maine. And uh, a lot of my friends were going to Maine. And, you know, school at the time just wasn't my forte, I guess. And uh, as a young kid, I was listed by Kamloops Blazers. Well, I went to that main camp for five, four, three, four years in a row. And, you know, there's guys like Scott Niedemeyer, Daryl Sador, Jerome McGinley, Darcy Tucker, Tyson Nash. Like it was tough to crack that lineup, even as a good player. And, uh, you know, and there was actually a guy in Fort Murray who actually got me a pro tryout that summer playing professional roller hockey. And that's, oh, how, that's how I, that's how it all started. Right. Cause I decided, you know what, I'm not going to do nothing this summer. I'm 20 years old, you know, turning 20. I better find a route or get my name out there because I had no offers. 
And that's took two weeks off and went, flew to Chicago with a hundred bucks in my pocket. <laughs> didn't know if I was, didn't know if I was going to make Chicago, and uh, I just happened to make it. And you know, Randy Boyd was the coach there, and uh, you know, I got I always got along with the older guys. I don't know why, but I always got along with the older guys. And a couple older guys just said, "Hey, I I think I can get you a tryout somewhere," you know. And uh, someone gave me a, got me a tryout in uh, Atlanta Knights. And they were the farm team of Tampa Bay at that time in the IHL. And uh, I played the black, black silver game or black white game against Tampa. I, I thought I did pretty good, but they ended up sending me to the East Coast League. And that's kind of where it all started going good for me, I guess. Yeah, so um, it is interesting. And I do want to just mention for my son here, who's 26 and doesn't know this, there was a time when he's talking about roller hockey that roller hockey was actually a big thing for like four or five years. Yeah, like I actually have a magazine article downstairs and Gretzky's on the front and it, and it got a story with me in it and it says right on the front of the magazine cover. So it was pretty interesting, you know, being from um, Alberta and watching Gretzky my whole life, like that was my dream to, you know, meet Wayne Gretzky, right? Like who doesn't, you know, so... I had a really good year that year in roller hockey. I remember I went, <laughs> I showed up to this roller hockey meeting, this roller hockey tryout, and I had bought these roller blades from Canadian Tire. <laughs> <laughs> they were the black micron ones with the yellow wheels. I think they were called the lightning or something. Like and I we played on roll-on in uh, Chicago. So that was just a, a smooth painted cement. It wasn't sport court. I remember going around the first corner and my, my wheels were like shredding apart. (laughs) So this Randy Boyd, had came to me and he said, you know, if you go make the team, you don't have to pay for these skates. So you'll just go up there and get some brand new skates. So they gave me some brand new skates and thank God I made it. So I don't know what I would have did. I don't know. I think I had enough money to get back. Yeah. (laughs) So when you do sign your first uh, pro ice hockey, uh, can you bring us through that? And again, like you said, it was kind of uh, the IHL. But uh, we always ask our guests, their first pro contract, how did it come about? You kind of gave us a story. Um, but what was it like? What was going through your head? Like, because you're finally making it to the pro. And, you know, you didn't, well, we're not talking NHL, but we're talking pro. Yeah. So um, after the uh, Atlanta tryout, um, <clears throat> the coach uh, was Mark Kumpel in Nashville in the East Coast League. We drove from Atlanta to Nashville to um, then talked on the, talked in the car the whole way. And I don't even know if I actually sat down and wrote a contract or anything like that. I just knew that I was making 400 bucks. I think it was 400 bucks bi-weekly. You know, I, I'm not even sure what we were making back in those days. It wasn't very much. I know that. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that I had coaches that really liked me and liked my style of play. And uh, Mark kind of took me underneath his wing and, you know, like, I don't, I don't think I scored in the first nine games, but you know, like he didn't bench me or anything like that. And then I'm scoring 40 goals that year. And I think I was like plus 43 or something like that year, but, but I wasn't a fighter. And of course, when you're in the East coast league back in those days, it used to be called the East cocktail league where, <laughs> where, where careers go to die. And it wasn't, it wasn't as uh as a, it wasn't in a system like it is today, like where they have the NHL and the American League and then East Coast League, and they're all kind of tied together. It wasn't as as good as that back in those days. So there was some fighting. Um, and 
I got called up to the American League uh, in Worcester. And uh, Jimmy Roberts was the coach there. <laughs> and, you know, I went to the first meeting. It was this other guy, and then they get called up, Mark Tardiff. He was an actual drafted player by St. Louis. And we're in this meeting, and he's talking to Mark and telling him how great he is and, you know, that he's going to get this and this opportunity. And, you know, St. Louis really wants to look at him. And, you know, I'm just sitting there on the couch. And he looks at me, he goes, you know, Harry, he said, you're just here to kind of fill the jersey and a role. You know, you might be, you'll probably be back in Nashville in a week or two. Mike, sure, no problem. And I think I was making a substantial a lot more money <laughs> just being up there. Like yeah. I want to say making a thousand bucks a week. So I was just happy to be up there, you know. And there was quite a few kids from Edmonton on that team at that time. And you know, um, I didn't even he didn't even say if I was going to play in the first game. I think, and I ended up getting called to play in the first game. And I think thirteen minutes go by, and I haven't even taken a shift. And finally, uh, I get a shift and. It was it was fortunate situation for me because we started losing really bad. So he started playing me a lot. Ended up getting a goal and an assist out of that game. And the next game I ended up scoring again. And he came to me and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna give you a regular shift next game. End up scoring a goal again. And the following game I ended up scoring three goals. I think I had like eight goals in eight games or something like that. It was it was a really good start. And he came to me and he says, I think I can get you signed by an NHL team, <laughs> which is kind of funny for a coach to say that to you. You think I, I didn't have an agent or anything like that. And I said, Oh really? He goes, there's two teams that want you St. Louis and Philadelphia. I think it was at the time. He goes, I'll do your contract. Just buy me a box of stogies. <laughs> really? Yeah. So that's how I my first contract. And it was actually a really good contract for my, for my kid coming from, you know, the East Coast roller hockey and Alberta Junior Hockey League. I think I got a two-year deal for $850,000. It was a two-way deal, you know, but I thought it was a good contract. <laughs> yeah, so, I would yeah. too. So you know? what was it like your your first uh, year pro then? You know, I, I know the juniors kind of help prepare better than maybe collegiate hockey as far as maybe the physicality, you know, maybe the fighting aspect of it. But you even racked up over 100 penalty minutes in the ECHL that year. You know, we obviously talked about you playing the infamous IHL. What was that first year like as far as playing with, you know, the grown men? They're playing for their families now. I mean, what was that like? You're, you're, we're talking about the East Coast now, so? Yes. Just, yep. yeah. Yeah. So I was pretty fortunate that way, too, whereas um, I was a bigger guy. But when I was playing in uh, Albert Junior Hockey League, like, you know, I was 17 years old and we were playing against 20 year old men, you know, like full grown beards. And, you know, and so you had to you had to have a level of, you know, um, get pulled together because there's a lot of jabbing, talking and stuff like that with 20 year old guys telling you what they're going to do to you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and uh, I remember this coach from Bonneville, his name was Chris Barnes. He told me, you don't speak English. You're from Russia and you don't understand what they say, <laughs> you know, and, and that helped a lot. But, you know, of course, when I went to the East Coast League, you, there, I think um, there was a team from the CHL, the Central Hockey League. Um, I don't think it was. I think it was Wichita. Okay. And they the Wichita Thunder had won the CHL and they moved all them guys to the sea to uh, Louisiana ice skaters and they were tough they were tough Doug Shedden was their coach and 
man, there was, there was a few times you were, you were scared to be on the ice, but you know, you, you struggle through those, you know, emotions like hockey is such an emotional sport. Like it, there's so many emotions and it's, it's kind of like who can handle all that stuff. You know, like I've seen a lot of really good hockey players get emotionally beat down from a game and just not become very good hockey players at all. Like they actually digress. So it was, it was a learning experience, but again, being a bigger guy and I actually turned out to be an all right fighter, you know, so I could handle my own, um, you know, I, it's a funny story. Uh, I'll tell you the story. Years later, we're sitting in the St. Louis Blues coffee room. And and uh, Bob Plager comes in. And uh, he comes in and goes, Harry, did I ever tell you about the time I found you in the East Coast Hockey League? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you never have. He goes, you were playing in Dayton. And I remember the game clearly in Dayton. And I did not play well. And he goes, you were awful. <laughs> he said... <laughs> I, I, I instantly left up to the first period because I'm like, this kid's not good. This kid's not good. And I was a minus player. It was one of those games where that, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you work or how hard you try. You just can't stop the bleeding. Like, you, you're just, you're on for every goal. It could be off your skate. It couldn't even be your mistake. It's But it ends up, you're a minus player. And I think I was like a plus 43 that year. But the coach, Mark Kumpel, called this Bob Plager and got him to come to Nashville and watch me play Louisiana and ended up scoring three goals and had an assist. And, you know, he says, after that, he said, I, I knew you were going to be a St. Louis blue. He said, but the first game, if your coach didn't call back, I probably would have never came back. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. So, so your coach really went to bat for you. And that's, we don't hear that too often, believe it. No, no, you don't like, that's the thing, right? Like, and I don't think families and, and I guess maybe that's why people have advisors and agents at such a young age. Now I'm not sure. Like my son plays U18 as a 16 year old right now. And I don't, I don't get involved in it and try to get involved. And in I have to have faith that, you know, there's, if you're good enough, they're still going to find you, but I don't know if that's the case anymore. I'm not sure. Like the coaches really, you have half the coach has to be on your side to do this you know, to move you along. Cause it's, it's lucky. Like I always tell people that my journey was, I had a lot of luck and a lot of help and, you know, a lot of really good hockey players that I played with that were amazing hockey players that were probably better than me just never got that luck, you know? So it's probably that way. So undrafted, we covered that after your first pro career, IHL, ECHL, and a little bit of AHL, I guess. You make it full-time with St. Louis. So you just told us how you got uh, noticed by them, but bring us through how you ended up. Was it, did you have a strong training camp? I mean, right. you were there full-time, right? Yeah, there's a story there too. So <laughs> so after I go to the American Hockey League, uh, Jimmy Roberts falls in love with me. I remember the boys used to tattoo used to tease me all the time and make me go sit at his table while we ate <laughs> while we ate on the road and say go sit with your dad Yorkie <laughs> <laughs> you know it was it was one of those things like you know I had three coaches that just loved me and, and I remember like I was always a big guy like I've always been 220 230 and they used to make us weigh in at Worcester all the time and I would always have to ride the bike and Jimmy Roberts would sit down beside me with a big stogie in the paper and everyone else would be done practice and I'd be riding the bike. 
and he'd be too fast, too too slow, too slow. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Everyone would be walking by laughing and stuff like that. But he took it underneath his underneath his wing, I guess, to for me to play in the NHL. So we get beat out by Portland, and uh, end up, and I'm ready to go home. I've been on I've been away from home for two years. So I lived in Fort McMurray, took two weeks off, went to Chicago, took two weeks off, went to Atlanta, Nashville and Worcester so I've almost been away for two years now and uh I'm ready to go home I'm a small town boy I live in a town of 40,000 people not very many people um most of my family probably pretty much makes up the town (laughs) so I'm ready to go home and the phone rings and uh it's Mike Keenan and he picks up I pick up phone I'm like hello and goes Harry it's Mike Keenan I said "I, I heard we just signed you you know like yeah and he goes, I want to invite you to come practice with us during the playoffs. Because you can't play because you had just signed your contract, but you can come practice. And I'm like, oh, can I call you back, Mike? Oh, man. <laughs> so I, I, he said, yeah, yeah, you can call me back. So I called my mom and I, I was devastated. Like, I want, I want to go home. Like, I was, I'm 20 years old and I'm just, I wanted to go home. And she, you know, a base almost in tears and it didn't matter if to go play at that time. I just wanted to go home. And again, this goes back to like the emotional support. Like I didn't have any, I was living in a hotel for the last month and a half in Worcester and uh, you don't have a vehicle, you know, you make like, yeah, at that time we were making a thousand bucks a week or something like that. But, and uh, she called, she talked me into it and said, you know, you're going to go see Gretzky. You know, you get to meet Wayne Gretzky, right? That was years with Scott Gretzky. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> so I end up going. And that's kind of what set all this in motion was that I end up going and I practiced with them during the playoffs when Detroit beat us out in the seven games there when Steve Eisman scored that goal from the blue line over John Casey's shoulder. But he ended up really liking me at practice. So it's the only NHL practice I've ever been to. I get there and we're not allowed. We're, we called ourselves the black aces. <laughs> we wore black. We didn't dress with the guys and they practiced their power play and penalty kill against us. You know, they practiced all that stuff against us. And we showed up the first day and like, again, dude, I'm, I'm like, I was not a rich kid. So I had ripped jeans, stussy t-shirt, long hair, like a surfer haircut, <laughs> Birkenstock, and walked into this NHL rink. And, you know, I was with Jamie Rivers, who was a first rounder, Alex Vasilevsky, you know, all of these guys, Ken Sutton, like these guys all played in NHL. They're, you know, they're big deals. I had just signed my contract and Mike Keenan's at the door, this big, you know, St. Louis dressing room. And he's, shaking everyone's hand and then he finally yells out who is this harry york guy <laughs> i want to meet harry york so i shook his hand and he's like i've heard so much about you from jimmy roberts and la 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 so anyways the trainers take us off to the dressing room and we're all putting our uniforms on and jamie rivers actually notices harry you have a color you have a line like you're practicing on a line today and i had a blue jersey and blue socks and, and i'm like oh that's weird he goes, someone must be hurt. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So we go to this, my first NHL practice in the playoffs. And uh, they're, they're all on the ice. We're all skating around. And 
Mike Kim comes out and he's like, we're going to have a scrimmage <laughs> like for warm up, wow. <laughs> which no, no one does. And uh, we all go to the bench and he's like, I want Gretzky's line out against Corson's line or something. <laughs> and uh, so Corson's line's on the ice, Gretzky's line's on the ice, but Wayne's not there. And so I'm playing in Wayne's spot. <laughs> really? Wow. So I don't know if it was just a way for him to see me and end up scoring two goals in this little scrimmage. But after that, he just kind of liked me, you know, and the following year, everything worked out again. We showed up for training camp. I had my, the trainers had, I don't know, ordered my sticks already. So I had my own sticks there already. Um, Jimmy Roberts now was the assistant coach for St. Louis. <laughs> so, and Mike liked me. So it was, it was one of those things that just kind of all worked out for me, like battling all through the years and through the norm and going against all the, the grain. And all of a sudden, just two years, everything seemed to work out for me in one way. Right. So I got a couple of follow-up questions. Cause this is a little bit, first of all, um, meeting Wayne Gretzky for the first time, was it everything you thought it was going to be? Cause you know, this is something you've always wanted to do. So I, Wayne wasn't there my first day. Wayne came the following day and you know, you, yeah, you play NHL and yeah, you're an NHL player, but still there's this, you know, I watched the guy. He was my hero my whole life. I never got, I ran a couple the next day he showed up at practice. And I remember a few times I looked over another line and we were doing two on twos or something like that. And he would be up and I'm like, oh, I got to go with Gretzky. And I'm like, so I would try to go on the back line and the, they would push me forward. <laughs> Just like you're in mites or mites or Adams or something like that. And, you know, I ended up doing really well with them and stuff like that. And, you know, um, never said hi to him or bye to him or anything like that. And then we always, St. Louis had um, like the main dressing room and then there'd be another dressing room beside it where you take your suit clothes and put on your underwear and stuff like that. And then you'd walk into the main dressing room to dress in your actual gear. And I remember they had a TV time. Roger Nielsen was our TV guy there. And we'd always sit in the back, the black aces, and they would go over video for the, uh, the players that were playing and stuff like that. And I remember sitting in the back and I just happened to be sitting by Gretzky's change room call and Gretzky came out and he's getting dressed and he's got his pants on and his shoes on and I am not saying anything to him like I'm eyes forward <laughs> and he puts his stress shirt on and he puts his arm through his sleeve and he punches me right in the side of the head <laughs> <laughs> and I end up moving my my chair and telling him sorry <laughs> That my head was in the way. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Other than that, though, you know, when I got finally meet Gretz, he was a really good guy to me and always, you know, treated me with a lot of respect. And we end up, I end up sitting beside him in both change rooms. And, you know, so it was good. Again, he was, uh, he's everything you ever heard about him. Like he's. So he's com coming from Alberta, do you ever meet and talk to his dad? We hear a lot of great stories about Walter. You know, I never got to meet Walter as much because St. Louis, we only had him for that that brief, like I was there for two weeks, right? Because we were playing St. Uh, sorry, um, Detroit and we went seven games. It was two or three weeks. So I never actually got to meet him. I, I think I met him one time in New York and that was it. Like, again, 
it's kind of a unique situation in child. It's not like, it's not like, yeah, um, as, com- as camaraderie as, as much as it can, they don't go out for family meals. The players do. And now time we'll get the families together and do that stuff, but we don't get a whole lot of that. Like there, you know, you obviously have one or two friends here and there and they come over for supper or something like that, but you don't get to meet a lot of the family unless they fly in and they're in the wife's room and you go pick your wife up or something like that. Right. So, but yeah, no, a lot of those other guys probably played with Wayne for two or three years. Like I only got to play with Wayne, you know, for two weeks in St. Louis and probably six months in New York. So, yeah. Uh, sorry, Andrew. I just got to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, questions. go ahead. Absolutely. I'm stealing Andrew's time. No, here. you're fine. Um, all right. So Mike, Mike Keenan. Yeah. A lot of stories about Mike Keenan. What was your experiences? Obviously. <laughs> good good sound, and bad. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you had a good experience with the guy. I mean, you playing in the well, NHL. I was a Mike guy straight from the get go. Like he was the guy that, you know, like not too many people coach like Mike. Like there are a lot of guys make their career on living and dying with their superstars. And that's, you know, that's what they get paid for. Right. Mike is like kind of like torts where that if your superstars aren't going, he's going to play someone that is going right. Like, you know, everyone is treated equally, no matter how much you make or what you did last year, like it's a job. So right away, like he would, I was getting our play time and, you know, we were putting big numbers up. Like I think at one time I had this newspaper article that says, I was leading rookie of the year in scoring in the first 30 games. And it says how much my bonus, I was going to make a $25,000 bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerome McGinley was second at the time. Who's the hall of famer. Now he was going to make a half a million dollar bonus. <laughs> he was going to win. So I guess my contract was really good, but wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what is, um, so Hockey aside, talking personality, because, and now maybe you got to look at this in hindsight. What did you do, your work ethic or your personality? Um, it, I mean, if every, almost every coach really liked you, went to bat for you, that says something about who you are as a person. And I'm kind of interested to know, did you ever figure it out what it, what it is or what it was? Well, I think for me was that they always, I coach a lot of kids now and they always tell us to coach our kids with um, really test their mentality at before 16, because after 16, the narrow pathways in the head are set and, you know, they're not going to get any better. I, I, I got better as I got older, like, you know, as a band player, I wasn't, I was all right, I guess. But then I wanted to move to forward at AAA Midget, which is crazy that, you know, all of a sudden you go from defense to forward and be able to put the numbers up. I did. But I just I tried to think the game better, you know, like I just end up we did this. We did that. We did this guy, this guy. There's this mental dude in Edmonton. It's John Stevenson. He has worked with Brady Holpe and all these guys. And it's a funny story. He comes in and he's got this white screen up and there's seven balls on this white screen. They're not numbered or anything like that. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to highlight three of these balls. This is at a minor hockey meeting, by the way. <laughs> and uh, the first question he asks goes, has anyone played high level hockey in this room? And um, one of the cameras, minor hockey president says, yeah, Harry played in the NHL. He goes, great. 
I'm going to show you why Harry played in NHL and none of you guys have. These seven balls up here, they're going to move around in the box. They're going to intersect each other. They're going to go out of the box. They're going to come back in the box. And then at the end, you're going to tell me what three are I'm going to pick. I'm like, okay. So there's seven white balls. He highlights three of them and goes, everyone got the three balls? Yep. Okay, good. They're all white again. Now they start moving. They start banging off each other. They start intersecting each other. They start going out of the box. They come back in. He stops them, puts numbers up, goes around the room and says, all right, what three? What, what were the three balls? So he goes around the room. Nope, 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 nope. Gets to like the 10th guy. And he finally says, Harry, what's the answer? And I said, I think it's three, six, and seven. And he goes, that's why Harry played in NHL and none of you have. So what they're finding is with NHL players, they can process patterns faster than anyone in the entire world. And that's, this is one of their tests that they do, right? So that's what I found was that I was a student of the game and I want to get better. I had to drive to do that. I want to figure it out. I want to, like, I would watch Gretzky for hours, like just how he would think the game and how he did the things he did. And, and that's what I tried to emulate I wasn't Gretzky but I tried to think the game a little bit better and being big I could I could get away with you know some of the stuff yeah it just it just worked out for me I don't I I don't I really don't know what I did better than everyone else but I tried to think the game and I got lucky with the coaching and that that helped me a long way yeah and just you know not to fast forward the story or anything but what just going in lieu with what you said, what do you think is missing from players today? Because, you know, I feel like a lot of them now, you know, they're they're pampered with the agents or being told from a very young age, you're going to be drafted. They're going to be huge stars. And then, you know, you see instances with, you know, Shane Wright or even Jack Hughes where it doesn't click in the NHL right away and they get sent down. So for you, it seems like you worked at it. You were you just had a passion for hockey. And I know that, that was tough when you were younger because you're a teenager and you have to go to school and everything. So from what you did compared to what kids are doing now, what do you think is missing? You know, obviously the talent's there, the drive is there with some of those kids, but I feel like motivation for young people in the world is lower. Seem like you just always had that knack for it. Well, I think just at first to be, you know, like when some of these kids that have been told that they're this and that and this and that, <clears throat> they haven't faced a 20 year old guy telling them how they're going to kill him if they score one more goal <laughs> or, or, or sat on the bench and played for two minutes, you know, like not everything is a, a given, like you have to face some adversity in life. Like you just have to, or, or when it does happen, how do you react from it? You know, like you, I, I, I find that even with my own son is, my son has a career path very like me. He has to work for everything that he earns. And and I'm all right with that. That's that's how, how life is. Hockey emulates life a lot. It's not fair. And yeah. and life's not fair. Like you I played with some amazing hockey players. I remember we played with this kid in East Coast League. And he ended up scoring 70 points in, in the IHL. Hugo Belanger. And he could come down on a breakaway and pick the puck up and spin around what the kids are doing now at yeah. full at full speed. And we're talking 1997, like wow. it just blew your mind. And, yeah. you know, I, I think he played a few games in NHL, but he didn't play a lot, but the, the kid was amazing, right? Like you run through all those kids and I don't know how their paths are different, 
but I just know that I faced a lot of adversity and, and I didn't, it didn't, didn't wreck me, you know, it helped me along the way. It kind of fed off it a little bit. Whereas I think a lot of kids when they've been touted so highly and stuff like that, you're not always going to be the big dog. It just, right. you're just not, it, it, there's 786 players that play in NHL. Eventually you're going to be placed or you're not going to play a good game. And that might translate to a bad week, maybe a bad month. And all of a sudden now they're talking like, maybe this isn't the kid, right? How do you, that? so I would think that you have to face some adversity in some way before you get there, because you're going to face it when you get there. And, yeah. and before we talk, you know, the, the post-concussive injuries and stuff, you did face adversity after all these great things that you're hearing, you get put on waivers and you get claimed by Vancouver. So yeah. what, what was the story? How did you even find out you're on waivers? Cause I forgot who we talked to was a Brian prop. He didn't know he was traded or on waivers or something right. until yeah, yeah, yeah. he looked in the paper. So how did you find out? And then how did you find out you're well, getting picked up by Vancouver? You know, there's lots of, like a lot, there's lots of, again, the NHL is, it's not always the best players that play. It's also the best. It's like a social class. If you, you have the best relationship for the coach and what worked for, for me for, for the year. And when they got rid of Mike, that didn't work me with, with Joel, like Joel was very X and O's and, you know, stick on ice, stick on pucks. And, uh, you know, they signed, they brought me back to the following year and, uh, I played a very diminished role. Like, you know, we were playing penalty kill and, you know, my two line mates were Tony twist and Kelly chase. Yeah. <laughs> I remember they used to tell me that I could run around and hit anyone and no one would touch me. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it too. And uh, they traded me for Mike Eastwood. And I remember Joel calling me in and he said to me that I probably could have said something, but I didn't. And he respected that about me, but I probably had a right to say some sometimes about the misfortune that, that I was getting there. Um, St. Louis really liked me. I really liked the town and the fans really liked me and, then they traded me to New York and in New York, you know, I thought I, everything was good. I played a really good game the first game and, and, uh, Muckler kind of, you know, really liked me. And the following year we came back and I don't think he really liked me. And, uh, and I ended up playing like five games and 30 games. Like it was just a, it was quite a, uh, mental, uh, mental abusive situation if you ask me honestly now looking back at it um and i don't know if this it could be said but i remember them sending me to the minors and they actually couldn't send me to the minors <laughs> so i went down to hartford and i was getting skated and practice down there and legally i wasn't supposed to be there and uh my agent called uh, Jay Fee, who worked for the Bobby Orr firm. And he was like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in Hartford. And he's like, it's impossible. You can't be in Hartford. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm here. <laughs> so, and yeah, he just didn't like me. I don't know why. And uh, they end up putting me on waivers again. And how I found out, I was still in a hotel in, in New York. No, sorry, in Pittsburgh. So they traded me to Pittsburgh for uh, Ned Ved and uh, me and Alex Kovalev. And we were in the hotel in Pittsburgh and um, my dad called me and said, my name wasn't on the roster. <laughs> oh, man. And I, I got a phone call and my gear was in the lobby at the hotel. <laughs> and oh. that's how 
Yeah. And then it was Mike Keenan on the phone again saying, I picked you up on waivers today. We were in Anaheim. Meet you there tonight. <laughs> wow. Wow. So again, I and Mike uh, comes, comes and grabs you once again. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I played, uh, I think I, I think I scored the first game and, you know, I had, you know, again, off to a great start and I think they fired him shortly after seven games. <laughs> <laughs> And did you ever have you did you ever talk to Keenan later on in life just to talk about why he he was so high on you or is that something you don't do post playing careers? You know, I don't know if you know, I think if you had NHL players around you would you would speak to them. Like it's funny, my son is it's so funny because my son plays against like Sean Browns and um Fernando Paisani's boy, like where our boys are all the same age. So we get to chop NHL days in those days, but no, not a lot. Like, I, um, I remember he, he sent my family. Um, I can't remember what they see. He sent me a, a Christmas card or something like that, but I haven't heard from him or, you know, I know at, at, at sometimes I always tried to see if I could find him on Facebook or reach out to him and, you know, and just talk to him. Right. But cause he was on TV for a while and stuff like that. But yeah, it was one of those things where that, you know, he believed in me and I kind of knew that. So that helped me on the ice. Right. Um, dude, don't get me wrong. There was times where Mike sat down beside me on the bench and let me have it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wasn't uh, invisible. Like, you know, I didn't get any, any hands, uh, little pats on the bum there sometimes. Right. right there was, right. So we hear, uh, we talk to a lot of players that um, have a two-way contract in the 90s. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of is, um, a lot of them talked about, hey, it's a two-way deal. So um, it's always going to be up and down with the NHL and the one, you know, way contract players are going to play. That's the way that it, that it is. Did you experience that with some of the guys on the teams that you're on and you kind of like we talked about being an anomaly of having the talent and you didn't really have to do that. Did you just kind of like eyes well, put blinders it, it, on or this, this would be a funny story for you. So we're in Edmonton, we're playing the Oilers and Peter Zezel, great fence face off guy. There's a minute left in the game. I think we're up three, two and, um, Peter Zezel, they call a timeout and Peter Zezel, the face off scenario and Peter Zezel's, talking to Mac T, Craig McTavish about how to beat Jason or not in his face off dot. And I leaned in and I said, just don't like beat him with speed. Like don't, don't try to over muscle him. Like he's six foot four, 280 pounds. Just beat him with speed. I don't know if Mike heard this, but Mike came down to the bench and he says, do you think you can win? And I'm like, I know I can win. And he's like, so I went and took the last two drives of this game. <laughs> I'm making $250,000 and replacing Peter Zezel at 1.7 or something like that. Right. <laughs> that's how, that's how it went. Like, right. Like he was just that guy. Like, so I went out there and I thought to myself, you know what? There's an open net. <laughs> I'm just going to shoot it down the ice from the face up. <laughs> and I did, you know, shot it down. They end up, I think uh, I think it was icing, and then they did it again. I shot it down again. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's there's been moments where that, you know, like he he just was that guy, right? Like he's if 
if you believed in yourself and I guess, and if it showed in your character, you, he would let you do that. Right. So I'm not sure, but that's the way he was. He, he wasn't a guy that was going to play kids on a one way deal, or he wasn't a kid guy that was going to play a guy that was making five or 6 million. Like I remember seeing him benching. I'm, that's kind of why we lost Gretzky the, you know, cause he benched him in the playoffs. Yeah. And so he's a, he's that guy like, and you know what? That's what I mean. Like, not everything is given, and nor should you think that playing in NHL that it's given. Like, just because you make ten million or nine million, it, I always, I always like to tell the people. It's like people, oh, that guy's playing like dog crap, you know, or he makes ten million, he shouldn't be able to do that. Well, not everyone goes to if you're a car salesman. Not everyone goes to and sells a hundred thousand cars a day. You have bad days, right? So that's the way it is. But you're also a professional athlete, so you should. You reap the rewards, but you should, you know, if you're not playing good, you shouldn't be playing, <laughs> right? Like, it's a it's a performance-based sport. And I think that's being a young person needs to realize that, that every second, every shift, and that's unfortunate, but that's, that's part of being a professional athlete. Yeah, so obviously, you know, the elephant in the room is you had more than enough talent to stay in the league for as long as you wanted. I believe you said you retired by 25, 26, which is my age, very young. You said it was due to post-concussive syndrome, um, which back then I'm sure was very rare. I'm sure nobody was really retiring with that due to the research not being uh, advanced yet. So comparing it to now and today's day and all the research and everything going, what what is your stance now? Because it affected your career and um, just kind of guide us through that time and how you had to decide to, to hang them up as well, especially for your health. Mine wasn't really decided. I guess it was decided for me, I guess, when you have a concussion. I'd fallen on the ice with the – actually, this is kind of a good story, I guess. Um, I was in Vancouver, and uh, they sent me to Syracuse. And I went to Syracuse, and me and Steve Korea and Stan Smeal was a coach there. And uh, it was the very first shift, actually. And uh, me and the Steve Korea go down on a two-on-one. And the defenseman took it, and I'm coming down the other side to make it a two-on-one. Took it from Steve, went around the net, and I hit, hit him. Apparently, it ended his career, too. I guess he hit his face off the glass. Oh. And But at that time, that Hershey was um, – was, uh, Colorado's farm team. And they seen this and I was in front of Ned and it was just like this big dog pile. And I remember someone holding my hands, my arms, and we fell forward and I put my, smashed my face off the, the, the ice. Oh, I think I was maybe knocked off for a little bit, but it wasn't much. Like I kind of remember the events a little bit. I don't remember the bus ride home, but I do remember the events on the ice. And, uh, they had booked a neurologist the next next day and he came in and he looked me over and he's like, I think your hot career is over, Harry, which I thought was kind of weird that that was said like such an early thing, but it was kind of foreshadowing because the next year I proceeded to go to see Dr. Brown, Karen Johnson, um, neurologists off from all over, um, North America and they were all the same thing was that I was no longer going to play hockey. It's kind of a weird story. I went to this one doctor and I don't know if I should say names because 
think there's a little bit of malpractice going on. Okay. And, and um, the goal was for me to get back on the ice and get a contract. So I continued to work out and he had given me Neurontin. Neurontin is like, a, it numbs your brain. Um, you're not even supposed to be even driving on this stuff, apparently. And every time I got a headache, I would just take this Neurontin. And uh, two years later, I'm still not getting better, starting to have like, you know, mild seizures, you know. And uh, so this doctor finally got me to see Karen Johnson. And I go in to see Karen Johnson in Montreal. She was like the head specialist of this of this concussion thing going on. And I just happened to it just happened to happen about the time when it started to come to light. Yeah. And I walk into this room and she says to me, take your shirt off. <laughs> like, that's kind of odd to say. <laughs> <You're> like, <"What?" laughs> I took my shirt off and she looks at me and she goes, do you work out? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, do you take medication? And I'm like, yep. So she, she told me to bring it and I gave it to her and she, she goes, how much do you take of this? And I'm like, well, whatever it takes, like maybe five, maybe six times a day depends. And uh, she just opened her drawer and put it in her drawer and she put her head down. And she was like, you will not ever play hockey again, Harry. She goes, you will not, you won't, you won't leave with this medicine and you will be inactive as a person. Walking your dog will be optional for you for the next five years. So that's, that's how it kind of ended for me. So I had questions, like I had questions, obviously for her, like, I'm like, well, how, how can Eric Lindros continue to go back? Like, and he, she goes, it's still your choice. Like, it's still a team's choice to sign you or, or it's your choice to go back, right? And I listened to her, you know, like, it is what it is. Like, I, I had decent insurance so that kind of covered it. But at that time, it wasn't, you know, it, yeah, it's tough. Like, because then you sit there two years later and you think you can still do it, right? Yeah. But, but you don't know how your body will actually react to it. So, and I'm very, and I'm pretty fortunate and like, you know, like I live a regular life, you know, the things I have around me or, you know, or from my career, but you know, like I didn't wait years after I quit hockey. Like I got a, I became a normal person, you know, like I got a nine to five job and not because I needed it, but I, I it's because I thought I needed it as a person, you know, yeah. you know, like you, how do you sit? Like you just can't sit. Do nothing all day. Right. Yeah, I know. Right. Old, right. Yeah. So, and I was always a farm boy, and I was into dirt bikes and you know that stuff. So that's kind of the industry I got into, and that's what I do. You know. So, you know, I assume it was probably hard to accept that fact when the doctors were telling you. And was it hard for you? I know you said that you had a lot of questions even then when you accepted it. You're listening to the doctor's advice, which I know a lot of players wouldn't have. Was it hard to understand the post-concussive stuff? Because like I said, back then, as people know, it was there's no research done then. So what was kind of like your opinion well, about that specifically? Like, did you buy into it? No, there's, there's, yeah, there's things that you feel and you know that are different. Like, I remember even my dad even telling uh, my wife at the time that I, I was different. You know, um, alcohol, you can't, uh, you, you shouldn't be drinking. Um, you can't drink. 
Like I would have a a a, a sip of beer and I'd have an instant headache because alcohol makes your brain swell. Yeah. So I knew something was different right away, obviously, because we used to be able yeah. to drink fishes. Um, you know, and just stuff like that. Like anytime you're doing something like strenuous, it would be like headache. Like I got to sit down, I got to lay down, have the lights off. Right. Um, and I think that's where like, I am not a doctor, but I think that's the biggest thing. I think for most hockey players that have concussions is the depression because you, you hear this professional athlete that's built like this Greek God that all of a sudden you can't do that stuff. Yeah. And you've ever been known not to do that stuff. You can't work out. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, there's not a whole lot of things you can do. So I think that was, that kind of was my saving grace. I put my mind to work right away and, and that was good, but yeah, no, it, it was a shock, but you know, like, again, like I always tell people like how many concussions do you think your son has had, you know, in his life? I remember watching my little nephew push his little Tonka truck toy down the sidewalk and catching a curb and over the Tonka truck, he goes and head hits the cement. Like, God, how many times has that happened to us? A four or five or six or seven through the course of your life up until that point, my concussion wasn't generally a bad concussion, but it just, maybe years of, of abuse of it. I'm not sure, but, and it's different people. Re, everyone reacts different to it. Like how's a boxer continue to take blows in the head? Like I, it, there's lots of questions like that, that I don't understand, but I was fortunate that I, it, it, everything worked out the way it was, you know, that's, that's all I can really say. Like, you know, like I could have, do I wish I could have played longer? Oh, for sure. For sure. It was a, there's an old saying in NHL, if you make five years, you're in for life. <laughs> yeah. you know? So did, yeah. did the other players like Kelly Chase, all those tough guys on your team, did they ever talk about concussions? Did they ever complain about? Like Tony Twist has at least after retirement. Right. Yeah. I mean, did they ever talk about it during your playing days, of course, or did you reach no, out really? to anybody when you found out? No, you know, the odd guy like Brad May will reach out on Twitter to me and ask me how I'm doing. You know, guys that I've played with will ask me, you know, and, you know, like I, I, I played with Joe Murphy and Mike Peluso and those guys. I mean, Joe, remember, we used to drive to the airport every day. Um, I don't know if they all had the healthiest lifestyles to begin with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it kind of spiraled out of control. Again, it's concussion is just a, a a problem that I think makes other amplifies everything else, right? Yeah. So it's it's tough. Like um, I think everyone's different in the way they react different to it, but um, there wasn't a lot of talk on the bench about it or or in the dressing room about it. I remember someone telling me at one time that back in the old days they used to just have to wake up their they're uh, the person that was knocked out or whatever like that every half hour, which is completely wrong. <laughs> You're oh supposed God. to sleep, right? But they used to make sure that they were awake and they were alive and had to wake them up every half hour. But, you know, again, I was, when it happened to me, it was kind of like, it was just starting to come to light, right? Like it wasn't, you know, every get you get knocked out, you played the next game still, right? You had a headache, you took some aspirin, you know, right. like, and like that was, that was the prognosis to me is I remember going, the trainer comes to the hotel and giving me a big bottle of aspirin <laughs> or, or time. Yeah. And 
sat in the room and it was windows were closed and lights were off and I could barely read the TV and I would just finally my agent called and said we got to get this guy some help you know so yeah you know it's it's frustrating but I think it's a lot better now for sure you know like with the head in contact and stuff like that and like you know like I was I was the defenseman and I was told to put my shoulder on your chin that's the way I was taught how to hit now that's not the right thing to do now but that's the way we were taught like everything changes everything improves and everything you know safety everything helps now right no right so before we get to our lightning round questions where we're gonna throw some some fast questions at you um people are gonna say hey you never asked him what 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 is harry york up to today so you're an ordinary guy you say so what's going on with harry york's life oh i a farm boy so i love dirt bikes and quads and stuff so we i did that i've been doing that now for oh god 20 years now i'm a parts manager at a bobcat suzuki dealership done that for the last you know since i retired hockey and i like it i'm good at it and you know it's one of those things where it uh you know it's fun for me i get to do that i'm passionate about and and uh and it's not work going to work i love talking so it's it's good Cool. All right. Ready plus, for light. Plus, plus I have a little, I have a son that plays hockey that plays about an hour away. So we're on the road like two times a day. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, so you're busy doing that too. Hockey. Yeah. Whatever comes to your mind, it could be a name. If there's a story, go ahead. The, the time is yours, but we're going to throw some questions at you make you think a little bit. All right. I'll take the first one. Good. Who is the toughest goalie to score against in your career? Oh, Grant Fear. What what made him what made it tough to score on him? Grant one time would say to us, he goes, I'm gonna stand on the post and I'm gonna let you have the whole net and you can shoot as hard as you want, and I'll just knock out of there with my stick. <laughs> and he would he, he could do that. He would shoot it and we he'd just knock it out of there with a stick. <laughs> like wow. uh, only one time I ever went crossbar and down on him and I and I made him sure he knew about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you have any pregame superstitions or rituals? Yeah. Um, no, not necessarily. I wasn't really, I tried not to be a superstitious guy. I don't know. Did you I just see any crazy I, ones. No, I no, I've never seen anyone like no, I've never seen anyone no really crazy about it. like we're we were kind of told that that you shouldn't be doing that because if you can't do it, then all of a sudden it takes your game off. Like right. So no, nothing. So we continue this in our poll of, of NHL players in your time, which arena had the worst ice conditions? Oh man. Can I say the East coast? (laughs) It's always the East coast. And we hear. So there was one time we played in Roanoke and I remember sitting on the bench and watching the Zamboni go over the, the ice on the other side in the actual cutter or whatever was actually skipping on no way yeah Yeah. there was only one time in NHL it happened where it's like we were playing Anaheim they had a concert I don't know what happened but they put the wood down on the ice it had melted onto the ice and they had like 50 we didn't think we were going to play the game they had like 50 people out there scraping this wood that was stuck to the ice one Zamboni was smoking. <laughs> like we couldn't even do our pregame skate. 
but that was the only time where that something like you know like i thought oh man like the ice is gonna be screwed but you know, most of the time they get it off like ice in the nhl rink isn't generally great anyways but we all play on the same ice so you don't really notice it yeah so which was the toughest player you've had to play against i don't necessarily mean fighting wise but the strongest toughest a guy you just did not care to be on the same ice with Well, Konstantinov from Detroit, I didn't, it didn't scare me to be on the ice with him, but I knew it was a battle, which I didn't mind. But I think the scariest guy would be Scott Stevens. Scott, yeah, I can imagine. He just, I, I never had a run in with him. Like, I think I tried to hit him one time, my lungs almost collapsed, but he's just, like super scary dude, right? Like, yeah. if he, like we used to always have this printout. And each player would have some highlights of what they did. And, you know, always beside his name was be careful when he's on the ice. <laughs> so did you ever run into Probert on the ice ever? Bob was at the end of his career. And, you know, like, I don't, like, don't get me wrong. I know it's a part of the game, but what a, what an awful job. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like I watched enforcers and they all said they'd do it again. Like, it just, to me, like, I don't know. To me, I just, I don't, yeah, it is what it is. Like, I, I appreciate that they were there and and all that stuff. But to me, like, when I, at the end of Bob's career, I almost kind of felt sorry for him. Yeah. It was, you know, like, he was, he was the pinnacle of the NHL tough guy. And every young buck now wants to take a shot at him, right? Nope. And it's just like, you know, I watched Tony in his heyday and don't get me wrong. Tony is an amazing athlete and amazing specimen, amazing person, but it just, yeah, it wouldn't be the job I'd want. I appreciated what he did. Um, I just thought like at the end of Bob's career and seeing that, I just, I felt really bad for him. Yeah. So, but yeah, no. They're, some of those good dudes are like bad dudes. Like, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want to beat them and check out. Yeah, no. We'd, go out we'd go out and play pool with Tony and people would try to fight Tony. I'm like, what are you guys retarded? Like, do you see this? Yeah, why would they wow. fight Tony at all, bro? <laughs> the guy's uh, is my head. Most, most, uh, <laughs> most embarrassing or craziest thing to happen to you during a game or a warm up? Oh. Did maybe the blue I line trip you? Did the blue line trip you? You know, I was taking. We were playing this game in Detroit, and back in the old days, there was no net. You know the netting up there. Oh yeah! yeah. Oh yeah! Yeah. For some reason, I remember that this gentleman was walking down the stairs behind the net, and he had his two kids holding their hands, and he had this bright pink hat. I don't know why it just stuck out to me. And I ended up taking a slap shot off the crossbar and it hit this gentleman in the head oh. and knocked his hat off. And then he kind of started sliding down the stairs. It's not funny, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of, <laughs> and he slid down the stairs and his two kids were still sitting up, standing on the stair and his, yeah, it's not good. Oh, I remember, I remember turning and skating off the ice as fast as I could. And I didn't think anyone seen it. And I was in the dressing room getting ready for the game. That's that pregame warm up. And uh, 
Al McKinnis came and he said, Yorkie, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, a, a stick or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that was probably my most embarrassing moment, probably, or something like that. Yeah. Well, this is the last question. I know it's very broad, but what when you think back, what's the first memory that pops in your head? Most fond memory of your hockey career ever? Probably when I scored in overtime. There was a kind of a big deal. It was on Hockey Night in Canada and it was Don Cherry had it on the, the TV because I threw my gloves off. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, he didn't like that. He was like, ah, but he put on a hockey on Coach's Corner and said, no, no, I let him do this because where did he come from? The East Coast League. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite you know again. I didn't play for very long, but it sure seemed like a whirlwind trip, like super fast, and you know, like you would never thought you'd be on Coach's Corner. You never would thought you'd play with Wayne Gretzky, let alone Mark Messi, Grant Fuhrer, like almost all the Oilers. And you know, again, it doesn't even seem like the same life. You know, like it life has moved so fast now, and yeah. even being the guys that played in the NHL and our kids play together. We don't even talk about that. We usually talk about our kids. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it doesn't even seem like the same life anymore, but I was very fortunate. And, and again, there's only seven, 800 kids that play and yeah, worked out for me. We'll say goodbye off air here in a sec, uh, but officially uh, we can't thank you enough for being gracious with your time. And uh, this has been a great episode. This is going to be great. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Okay, Harry York, and we haven't done a recap on a guest in a while, so we'll finish here with a little recap. Everything we thought it would be and more. Yeah, well, I like it when a guest comes with a lot of stories, because, you know, sometimes some of these guys probably haven't talked about these old days in a long time, so sometimes they're kind of put on the spot. But uh, Harry came prepared today, and it makes it fun for us, because the whole reason why we ask these questions, right, isn't just to ask the questions, it's to get stories out of it. Well, and I just, again, want to highlight and it can't be highlighted enough. Again, a guy who's undrafted, yep. you know, IHL, but basically, you know, ECHL. And again, they weren't much affiliated back in those days, like he said, but only did a year in the minors and then spent pretty much the rest of his career in the NHL. And uh, you don't see that. No, and I'm sure he could have played a lot longer, but it's interesting to hear that he was taken out of hockey for concussive symptoms. But find it interesting that him and his coaches still had a choice if he wanted to play. So I think it was good on him that he listened to the doctors and uh, saved his life. Really? I mean, no, absolutely. And as fans, uh, you, you quickly forget when players are off of teams, unless, you know, they're like your favorite player or something like that. Right. Meaning, you know, suddenly you, you go, Oh yeah, what happened to that guy? And, you know, as fans we're more tied into the game and uh, it's uh you know, it's kind of heartbreaking when you you finally find out like, oh, yeah, that guy had this or that or he left and right. so forth like that. And uh, so it was really great. I know we get some sirens going. We should probably end this episode because right outside uh, sounds like we've got a whole bunch of fire trucks coming. Yes. So we'll, we'll end this episode. Hopefully they're not coming to this building yeah. in, in my office today. But a great guest. Uh, love talking to these players because the 90s into the 2000s were a very interesting time for the NHL. Uh, of players, you know, starting to make good money, but not making the millions. Right. And it was tough to crack the NHL in the 90s. Yep. And he did. 
So we want to thank Harry York again. Thank everybody for tuning in. Um, this is episode, what, 106? I think it's 105, no, 107. I think it's 107. 107, maybe. So either way, we appreciate everybody and uh, tune into the next one. Thank you very much.